So you talked about this idea of, you know, if Democrats are in power, money's coming back to Metro Detroit. Obviously, other pretty systemic changes are happening if, if Democrats control the Senate. But that probably only happens if you win this race or if other people in comparable really tight races win their races. What sort of pressure does that put on you, do you feel? It's immense pressure. This race is far more important than I am. You're not here because you wanted to know who Veronica Kleinfeld is. You're here because you're interested in this particular race. And so are a whole lot of other folks. That sits on my shoulders. And Free Press politics reporter Dave Boucher went door knocking with Veronica Kleinfeld this October in East Point. She's a Democrat vying for a state Senate seat that covers Macomb and a little bit of Wayne County. Her opponent, incumbent Michael McDonald, who Dave also caught on the campaign trail. So what makes it exciting really, though, is the fact that Detroit, if I win, I'd be the first uh, Republican member of the Detroit caucus in over 50 years. It's considered one of the closest races in Michigan, and there's a lot at stake. This is the first general election since the Independent Redistricting Commission redrew voting districts. Their job was to make districts that were more fairly drawn and representative, and they ultimately ended up making some more competitive ones. Several districts that were once easy wins for either party are much closer now. It all sets the stage for an election that has potential to change the course of Michigan politics and how we go about life in Michigan. There are several things on the ballot. Right voting rights are on the ballot. Putting in the Constitution rights on abortion is on the ballot. It just motivates me to knock doors. It's like a fight or flight response. You know, it just makes me know I got to be out there knocking doors every day. On this episode, we talk with Dave Boucher and discuss what analysts believe is the best shot Democrats have had in decades to take the state Senate. We talk the chances Republicans hold fast and what big changes could come quick should Democrats pull it off. How do you deal with that pressure? I keep knocking. I'm Kerry Jr. the second, and this is On the Line. My name is Dave Boucher, and I am a government and politics reporter at the Detroit Free Press. Excellent. All right, Dave, so it's election season, um, so we'll be hearing a lot from you and your team over the next few weeks. But what are some of the reasons you know people would care about this election? It's a midterm election. Um, what makes it really interesting? Sure. So the course of the future of Michigan is potentially at stake this election cycle. Okay. In theory, the voters of Michigan could pick a new governor, they could pick a new secretary of state, they could pick a new attorney general, and they will pick new lawmakers in the Michigan House and in the Michigan Senate. Obviously, all of those positions have the potential to affect great change on any number of fronts in the state. Okay. And so, and speaking to Emily Lawler, your wonderful editor, one thing that really intrigued me is, you know, the discussion around the Michigan legislature and whether it may see some pretty significant changes. Republicans control the House and the Senate now. And how long has that been the case? Essentially since the beginning of time. So there have been, uh, exactly, there have been some outliers, but, but for the last several decades, and there was a time where there was like split chambers. The last time that the Democrats had any chamber was in 2010. And the last time they had the state Senate was in the early 80s. 
for the for the purpose of this conversation, for the last few decades, Republicans have controlled both chambers. Okay. Okay. So, knowing that they've controlled both chambers, is there any chance that this might change given this election coming up in November? Yes. Mm -hmm. Democrats will tell you, and independent observers too, will say that this is the Democrats' best shot at taking the Michigan Senate, especially in years. They also have a shot at the House. It's a little bit of a, of a, a harder haul for them to take the Michigan House, okay. but they have an excellent shot at taking the Michigan Senate. And why is that? What's what's changed? Probably the biggest reason is due to redistricting. So every 10 years in every state, not just in Michigan, uh, somebody gets together and looks at the lines that were drawn to decide political districts in Michigan for the first time ever. The state relied on an independent process. It was this independent citizens redistricting commission, as opposed to the entity controlling the legislature, mm -hmm. which in Michigan has been Republicans, creating districts that arguably help Republicans keep those seats. This time, the Independent Citizens Commission drew its own maps and looking at their own analysis, especially in the Michigan Senate, there are 38 seats in the Michigan Senate and 20 of those seats are supposed to go to Democrats if trends uh, that we've seen roughly for the past decade stay the same. Now, of course, these are projections and some of those seats are really, really tight. Mm -hmm. But if Democrats take 20 seats, they take control of the Senate. How many seats do they have right now? Of the 38 seats in the Senate, Democrats currently have 16. They would need to have 20, at least 20, in order to have a majority. And of those, how many are considered tight races? Yeah, I think that that's a really good question. So, and this is according to the analysis that was done by the redistricting commission, there are probably about five to seven districts where the Democrats are favored, but it's an exceptionally close race. And then another 12 or 13 where the Democrats are absolutely going to win. Uh, on the flip side, again, there are also a couple of these districts where Republicans are favored, but it's a really tight race. There's a Macomb County race where the Republican has a 50.9% advantage. So that's a, that's a toss-up as well. So in this, in this conversation, it's technically in the Republicans' uh, column, but nobody's shocked if the Democrat wins that one. And these are all projections, but how big of a deal would it be if Michigan's legislature were to flip blue or if the Senate were to flip blue? Democrats and, and legislators will tell you it's massive. So that, that can lead to, in theory, pretty obvious legislative action on the first day. So just a few examples of what could happen. For the last several sessions, the whole House, almost unanimously, and in some cases unanimously, have passed huge packages of legislation aimed at transparency with state lawmakers. So requiring disclosing assets, campaign finance reform, making the legislature and the governor and any other number of state offices subject to open records laws. Those bills have just languished in the state Senate. Those bills could pass in a heartbeat in a, a Senate controlled by Democrat. I think depending on the makeup of the House, there's a chance that with Governor Whitmer and a, a Senate controlled by Democrats, that that legislature could repeal the 1931 law that criminalizes most abortions. Now, there's a proposed amendment that could change the Constitution that would make that law unconstitutional, but it would still be on the books. To clarify, currently a temporary ruling in a pending lawsuit keeps abortions accessible in the state. There's expanding the state's civil rights law to include explicit protections based on sexual identity and sexual orientation. Gun legislation will almost certainly be emanating from a Democratic-controlled Senate very quickly in a new term. Do midterms typically favor the party of the governor? That's a really good question. No, it's not, especially here in Michigan. So if we were to look at historical indicators, the party that is out of power 
in the White House tends to do a little bit better in the midterms. Mm-hmm. And just Republicans in general have historically done better in the midterms. There's obviously the COVID pandemic. There is inflation. There are questions about employment and unemployment. There are right. lots of questions that, in theory, Republicans could use up and down the ballot to help themselves. Many of those issues are seemingly not resonating as well as other issues that are apparently favoring Democrats, chiefly abortion and access to abortion. What What is a factor that would help the Republicans keep their stronghold in, in the Michigan legislature? What could potentially hold them? So there are any number of things, including simply incumbency, right? So an incumbent lawmaker tends to do better than a challenger. Mm -hmm. There are going to be seats that even with redistricting that Republicans are just going to win. So for example, in the Michigan Senate, one seat that on paper is supposed to be relatively close is is Senate District 38. It's the entire Upper Peninsula. It is highly unlikely that Democrats put up a real challenge to Ed McBroom, the Republican running in the UP. It's almost guaranteed that he wins. There is a very, very tight race in the Muskegon area, and there are two incumbent lawmakers, uh, an incumbent Senate Republican and an incumbent Democratic state representative, both running for the Senate seat. That's an area where Tudor Dixon, the Republican running for governor, is from. She's from that area, right? So in theory, that's an area where she should do well. And if she does well, that could help other Republican candidates down the ballot. But if you're looking at whether or not the Democrats at the top of the ticket have what they call longer political coattails, when the governor is shown up in polls, that will have trickle down impact to not only, you know, congressional races, but also to these these state Senate races. Gretchen Whitmer running really well helps Democrats all all over the the state. state. Now, Whitmer's polling numbers have changed in the past month. According to an October poll conducted for the Free Press and its media partners, her lead over opponent Tudor Dixon dropped from 16 percentage points to 11. After the break, how President Joe Biden and former President Trump could impact local races, why Michigan Democrats are out fundraising the GOP this cycle, and what issues could sway voters at this point. We're back talking with Free Press Politics reporter Dave Boucher about Democrats' best shot in years at taking control of the state Senate. So let's get into campaign financing. What does it look like in terms of the Democrats versus the Republicans? So historically, at the legislative level, Republicans tend to raise more money and do better uh, in some of these races. In the past, there haven't been as many contested districts. And so money tends to flow into competitive races. Republicans tend to do a little bit better. This cycle... Democratic candidates are crushing their Republican opponents, Mm. both statewide and in individual races. Statewide offices like Matthew DiPerno, the AG candidate for Republicans, Christina Caramo, the Republican for Secretary of State, their entire campaign, their entire season, they've brought in roughly a million dollars, a little bit less than that. We're looking at state Senate candidates like Padma Cooper, who's running in an Oakland County seat. She's raised $430,000. That's a lot of money in a state legislative race, which means you're going to see TV ads in state legislative races. By and large, Democrats are doing really well, in part thanks to uh, Mallory McMorrow. For those who haven't been following this, Mallory McMorrow is a Democratic state senator from Royal Oak who came under attack in April by a Republican state senator. McMorrow was accused without evidence of wanting to groom and sexualize children. The logic isn't quite clear, but the allegations appear to be loosely tied to concerns about school approaches to the LGBTQ community. 
But a groomer is someone who establishes a connection with a kid to ultimately exploit or physically abuse them. Thank you, Mr. President. McMorrow came back swinging in a now viral speech from the Senate floor. I know who I am. I know what faith and service means and what it calls for in this moment. We will not let hate win. Through the exposure that she gained and through the fact that she is unarguably a, a dynamic speaker, she has raised a million dollars herself. Wow. Through, wow. And that's coming in nationally. So yeah. she is not only raising money for her own campaign and for her own political action committee, she's raising money for the national entity that supporting supports Democrats in legislative races across the country. She is going to win wow. the general election easily. So she doesn't have to use any of her own money say. on her own race. <laughs> yeah. Right. And she has told me that she's sending okay. that money to these other races right. that are going to be more competitive. And so that's just like one outlet where Democrats are getting money that they haven't had before and that are making them far more competitive mm. in some of these races that they've either conceded or just not been able to compete in in the past. All right. Now, we've been talking about the national spotlight and how this affected our state Senate with the Mallory McMorrow example and her national spotlight and the donors that came in uh, as a result of that. But what about President Joe Biden? How has he impacted the races in Michigan? So if you're in a tight race right now, in the Michigan legislature, chances are you you are not clamoring to be associated with Joe Biden, mm -hmm. right? President Biden has historically had low popularity in Michigan. And so Republicans have pinned the idea of like high gas prices on Joe Biden, which trickles down to affecting Democrats up and down the ballot, if you mm -hmm. believe that, right? Mm -hmm. And so you're never going to see Joe Biden come into Michigan to go stump for a state Senate candidate. You spoke to us before about the Trump factor. That's former President Donald Trump and his impact on the governor's seat. Um, how about his impact now on these Michigan legislature spots? Yeah, I think that that's a really good question. Specifically, we can look at Grand Rapids. Mm -hmm. So this is going to be a little bit of a daisy chain, but it's important to follow. U.S. Representative Peter Meyer, mm -hmm. congressman, from Grand Rapids, a Republican, with one of his first votes in Congress, voted to impeach President Trump. Mm. Republicans didn't forget that. They ran somebody to his right in a primary who was endorsed by President Trump, who defeated him in that race. His name is John Gibbs. He's an election denier. He made some comments in posts from college that suggested that women shouldn't have the right to vote, ideas that would not make him palatable to a majority of voters. Mm -hmm. He's also running in a district in Grand Rapids after redistricting. It's a district that favors Democrats. Mm -hmm. That's going to have a direct impact on the Senate races in Grand Rapids as well. Uh, which races? So there's a couple of races. Arguably, the most marquee race is between an incumbent state senator, Mark Heisinger, who's running against an incumbent state representative, David LeGrand. It's a hotly contested race. If Democrats come out in force, and vote for, in this congressional race, vote against John Gibbs or for Hillary Scolton, the Democrat running, that could have a real impact on the candidates that get elected. What are some of the factors that really kind of pull us one way or the other? You're talking about these tightly contested races in these districts. Abortion is absolutely driving the narrative. You will hear conservatives, including Tudor Dixon, say that it's not something that elected officials can have that much say about. The Michigan legislature absolutely has say, right? It is absolutely the driving dynamic right now. Every poll that we've put out, most polls that you see nationally and in Michigan say that it is, if it's not the number one issue voters are thinking about, it's right at the top of the issue. If a high number of people come out and vote for that, Democrats think that there's going to be a high correlation with those voters also voting for Democrats in races where they might not have had any interest. Historically, the governor's race gets more people voting in it than a local Senate race. But if you have people voting in this for 
an abortion amendment and for the governor, then the chances of them going down and actually also checking a box for a Democrat go up. Something that can help Republicans in theory is if gas prices, for example, continue to go up or if inflation continues to make everyday products more expensive. So Republicans have tied that, fairly or not, to Governor Whitmer and to Joe Biden. And so if you're a voter who is voting based on economic interest mm -hmm. and on money, then that's something that is a real issue for you. And you can argue that Governor Whitmer in her famous campaign pledge vowed to fix the damn roads. And not only are the roads not fixed, some are, some aren't, right? And so if voters are going in angry, then they're going to vote, in theory, against Governor Whitmer, which helps Republicans down the ballot. Is there anything I may have missed, Dave, that you want to go over in reference to the Michigan Senate race? Yeah, again, I, I don't want to make it sound like that is a guarantee that Democrats win. It's, it's still going to be a tall task for mm -hmm. Democrats to try to take the majority. And nobody is going to be shocked if after Election Day, the Republicans hold a slight advantage. In theory, that means that there should be less of a partisan divide. The chamber is pretty close right now, and, and the partisanship is obvious and um, arguably toxic. But a chamber that is, in theory, evenly split needs to come together to work to pass legislation, which is part of the rationale behind redistricting and creating districts that are more emblematic of the, of the, of the people that they represent. Listening to you talk about this election, it kind of got me excited about it. And it's like, hopefully, if someone's listening at that very moment, they can take, take your words and go out and vote. So, yeah, and, and plenty of options, plenty of avenues. So. Totally. And there is so <laughs> much more information out there about these individual candidates and individual races that are super important. There are three constitutional amendments that are on the ballot. There are school board races. There are state school board races. There's all sorts of that. The Detroit Free Press has written extensively about all of these races, but so have lots of other papers mm -hmm. and lots of other local entities. So, you know, go and read. Make sure you cast your ballot. There's, there's tens of thousands, if not more than hundreds of thousands of Michiganders who are eligible to vote every year who do not. Everybody talks about the idea that one vote doesn't count. In 2016, President Trump won Michigan by 10,700 votes, give or take. That's roughly three or four votes per precinct in Michigan. So every single vote can absolutely have a big impact. How do people go about doing that at this point, getting their vote counted? I know we're getting close. There's plenty of time to still register to vote. In Michigan, you can register to vote up to and through Election Day. There's even still time to request and return an absentee ballot if you don't want to go vote in person. However, if you want to request and use an absentee ballot, you should put that request in as soon as humanly possible. Once you get your ballot, you, of course, can mail it back. But in Michigan, any ballot that is not received by the time polls close on Election Day does not count. So if you want to ensure that your vote counts, it's not a bad idea if you're able to, to run your ballot over to the clerk's office or to put it in a drop box if that is available in your community. Thank you very much for taking the time, Dave, for talking with us. Uh, really enjoy listening to you, as I always do. You all and the politics team are fantastic. So you all are great to hear from and, and great information. So thank you. Hey, my pleasure. It's, uh, it's always fun to, to uh, chat with you, for sure. Make sure to check out Freed.com to learn more about the candidates' positions and everything else election-related. We've even got a voter guide that will show you what's on your specific ballot and what each candidate and proposal on there says on important topics. This episode was produced by me and Darcy Moran with help from Robin Chan. Anjanette Delgado and Marianne Struman are our executive producers, and Peter Batia is our editor. The music, as always for the show, is called Fort Trumbull. It was produced by DJ Lost Boy. 
Thanks as always for listening. And if you like the show, share it, subscribe to it, listen again, listen to old episodes. Um, and don't forget to come back next week. All right. See you then. <laughs>